Well, I read through that handbook for the recently deceased. It says, live people ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. We are the wretched refuse. We're underdogs. We're mutts. We're mutants. There's something wrong with us. Something very, very wrong with us. Something seriously wrong with us. Hey everybody, what's up? Welcome back. It's been it's been over a month since we've recorded proper, other than the Halloween yeah. show. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of the Halloween thing was kind of a toss together. It wasn't like a real normal show. So this is our first show back in quite some time. Tonight we have Mark Hartsman on from WeirdHistorian.com. Not the Weird Historian, www.weirdhistorian.com. And he's got, in my ever-continuing quest to find strange websites and strange history, I ran across this guy. And honestly, I don't remember how I ran across him. So I sent him a message and said, hey, would you be interested in doing this? I don't know if he's been on any other podcast before or anything, but he covers a very wide variety of strange, strange topics that are, as usual, things that I haven't, I don't know a lot about. And you know, you, there's a few of these things that you knew a little bit about. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um the one thing that we're definitely going to talk about is this table. He's got a thing yeah, on totally. here. The table made from human body parts. Yep. Um, where the heck is it? Let me, let me see here. No, that's the guy with x-ray eyes. Yeah. Uh, most unusual gift, a table made of brains, ears, a foot, and other preserved body parts. And there's it's like a coffee table. I don't know how to describe it. There is definitely a foot right in the middle of it. And there's like sideways cut pieces of body parts. And it's bizarre. So that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, I imagine after that, we'll do our usual babbling and junk like that at the in the closing of the show. <laughs> I'm sure. Because much has happened in, in quite some time, especially me posting the thing about... Uh, okay, I'll say this real quick before we go into the interview. The Sabrina the Teenage the Terrifying Witch thing oh, with the statue of Baphomet, that has stirred up an endless amount of controversy, even bringing, even bringing uh, Jordan in from the Nighttime Podcast over on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And there's the ever so slim possibility that I may actually get them guys on here to talk about the whole lawsuit or what their stance is on it. Because yeah, what's there to talk about though? Well, okay, here's the thing: they're suing. They're suing Netflix because they have Baphomet in Netflix inside of the uh, of the dark school of witchcraft yeah, magic. Yeah, it's a direct replica of their statue that they own, and yeah. it's not public domain. See, that's what I didn't know. I was like, okay, they don't own Baphomet, but um, as Gene St. Jean pointed out, particular one. Correct. Gene St. Jean pointed out, he's like, actually, no, you're wrong, and I am wrong. I will be the first to say I am wrong on this because it is, has to do with uh, artistic ownership or what mm-hmm. have you. And when I saw the show, I was like, you know, and, and it's surprising because I even said it to myself. I'm like, wait a minute. I wonder what's going on here that they were able to use that particular statue. The whole show, it's it's not geared for people like us. It's, you know, like we know what's up with Satanism and witchcraft and, you know, all of that stuff. So I'm like watching the show going, OK, come on, really? But it's not geared towards us, so whatever. You know, go go do what you're going to do. Give people a good show, whatever. It's written by written and done by the same people that do Riverdale. All right, yep. fine, gotcha. But um, I remember watching it thinking, wow, this is a really gross over-representation of a lot of this stuff. And uh, so when that popped up, I didn't even think about it. I posted it, not realizing, yeah, this is what I said. <laughs> so Oops. anyway, 
Then I got to ask one other question before we jump into this. Is it just me or are we seeing a return of the satanic panic? Oh, totally. Absolutely. It, it just seems like this year specifically, like even well, with the show last year with the the big push from the evangelicals. That's why we're seeing it again. Yeah. And then I noticed uh, this year on American Horror Story, you've got like the son of Satan trying to take over the world or destroy the world or what have you. And then Sabrina comes along and it just seems like all of these things are there's this new satanic panic bubbling up in the background. So I don't know. Everybody needs a scapegoat to blame their bad behavior on. Well, I don't I don't know if it's just a hot topic or a go to meme right now, but it just seems like all of this stuff is (laughs) bubbling up. So hot topic. Yeah, there you go. Um all right. Anyways, let's uh, jump into our interview with Mark here, and uh, we will see you guys at the other side. We have no idea. This is one of those rare occasions where we're recording the pre-show before we actually do the pre-show. So we have really no idea where this is going to go or what's going to happen with clue. this. So, uh, you know, going back to old school for this one. And uh, we will see you guys at the other side. Bye-bye. So with us tonight, we have Mark Hartsman, who runs the site, the site WeirdHistorian.com. Again, not the Weird Historian, Weird Historian. So, Mark, I, I am amazed that I have not discovered you sooner because everything on your website is right in our wheelhouse. And um, you've got such a great variety of strange and odd on here. I, I don't know how we did not find you sooner. So welcome <laughs> to the show. Tell us about yourself. Well, thanks for having me, and I'm glad you found me. Uh, yeah, so I'm a, I'm an author. Uh, I also I work in advertising as my day job. Um, so I do writing uh, professionally, and then I do these books on the side and articles as well. So I used to write um, used to write for AOL Weird News, which was a lot of fun. Oh and yeah, so I got me going with <laughs> weird stories for articles. Um, we probably used a few of those. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah I'm um, sure we yeah, have. I did. I did a lot of fun stories for that. Maybe we can get into some of that stuff because it relates to some of the content on Weird Historian. And that all came about um, after a book I did called American Sideshow. And so a friend of mine uh, is the editor of of Huffington Post Weird News, HuffPost Weird News, uh, which was AOL Weird News before. So he had me help out as a freelancer um, to sort of do like the sideshow beat uh, for the Weird News section. Wow. So it was a lot of fun because I had a lot of great connections within the sideshow community uh, so I could find these sort of fun, interesting, you know, odd stories. That is a topic we've always wanted to cover on here. But yep. for some strange curse, we've never been able to because the guest has usually bailed out on us or every single time <laughs> something strange happens. We've never been able to t- cover that topic on here or at least cover it in a different way. So it's it's kind of funny that you're like somebody who's into that kind of stuff. So how long have you been running this website for? Uh, just about two years now. Huh. Yeah, so growing slowly but surely. Well, let's jump into it. And I'm going to ask you about, is the guy's name Ted Sirios? Is that what his name is? I think, I've always been saying Ted Sirius. Okay. Yeah, Ted Sirius. 
I, I always wanted to, I keep wanting to look at this and say, uh, Ted Soros from the politics. Is that the guy's name? I don't know. Oh, George Soros. <laughs> yeah. George Soros. Oh, I keep yeah. looking oh, and thinking God. George Soros. Very different guy. Yes. Oh, yeah. Very much. But, uh, this is a guy who purportedly could look at a camera and think photography, think an image from his head into the camera and they would hit the button. It would be a Polaroid, correct? Yes. So, I mean, the picture you got on here, the guy's like screaming at this camera, like, ah, or something like he's going to get ready to deck it out. What is this guy's deal? What's the story behind him? <laughs> well, that's what he was doing pretty much. So this, this was going on in the 1960s and, uh, he, he called himself a photographer and basically came out and said he had these mental powers where he could do what you said. He could basically project his thoughts onto a piece of film. And so he would think of an image and then he'd take the camera, this Polaroid camera, and he'd put it up to his head um, or actually not specifically to his head. He had what he called uh, a gizmo and it was like a little uh, rolled up tube and he put that up against his head and then put the camera against that. So it was like projecting through this little tube into the camera, basically. So straight out of his head. Um, and he would he'd get really drunk. He'd do a lot of drinking, As a lot do. of yelling and shouting. So the, the picture you're referring to, that face he's making with his mouth open, he looks kind of angry. He's probably screaming something crazy at that point uh, as he's taking the picture. And I think part of this was a little bit of showmanship, maybe to distract from whatever he was doing to create these uh, – uh, photographs, if I guess you, you would call it. How does a person go get into the idea that, how do you discover that you can do something like that? <laughs> like I've never been inclined to pick up a camera and put a piece of toilet paper tube at it and then like scream at the camera. How, how does, how does somebody discover they can well, do something? Well, you're clearly like not that? gifted. So <laughs> it's a good question. You know, he, he was just an unemployed bellhop in Chicago when he suddenly came out with these powers. Uh, and, and it doesn't get into like how he developed this, but you know, it's sort of interesting how, how the camera has, has been, uh, an interesting tool for people to say that they can do something sort of magical, you know, like spirit photographs in the late 1800s and even the early 1900s where they thought the camera could photograph a ghost. And here they're saying, oh, maybe the camera can photograph our thoughts, you know, different sorts of magical things that could happen through film or, or seeing things that the human eye can't see. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how it originated with him. But once he came out with this notion and made it public, he got the attention of a um, a professor or a, a psychiatrist who was in Denver, in Colorado, who got really intrigued by the whole thing and began to study with him and, and ran for years a series of tests and studies with this guy, Ted Sirius. Um, and he eventually wrote a whole book on it. And he was convinced the whole thing was real. So was it? No. Okay. <laughs> so he, so eventually, and know, moving on. <laughs> It's one of these things where, um, just like with like the spirit photographs, spirit photographers, like there was a guy, William Mumler, in the 1800s who was the first spirit photographer. And a lot of people believed it. A lot of people who were spiritualists believed that this was a real thing. And like I said before, like the camera could see something, something different that the human eye could not see. And how amazing is this? There's another world. So, um, so, so Eisenbud was a, I think he just went into the whole thing believing. So he wasn't a good, uh, you know, a good experimenter, I guess, or, or didn't run tests properly. So just like mediums, you know, who, whether it was spirit photographs or, or holding seances, this kind of thing and fooling people, it, it was the magicians who finally could expose these charlatans. 
So a magazine called Popular Photography ran a test with them. I think it was 1967. And they brought in two magicians to watch what he was doing. And the magicians, just like they could expose the mediums, Houdini was uh, a big uh, exposer of, of fraudulent mediums. And, uh, and these magicians could figure out, okay, somehow he's slipping something into that tube, uh, some, so, some kind of tiny little transparency type thing at the end of it that's creating that image on the, on the Polaroid. And of course, all the images, you know, it's a podcast, so people can't see any of these things. And you go to the site and you'll see an image. But um, they're all very blurry. You know, it's nothing, there's no sharp image or anything like that. So it's just sort of a weird blurred image. And if you want to think it's what he said it was, then you could think it's what he said it was. If you want to think it's the building that it's, uh, you know, somewhere nearby where you live, then, you know, you can choose to believe that. Well, I can but see I like in the, the Roman church the when they have on here that he's got the, there's a picture on here where he supposedly looked at an image of, a, of the Roman church or something like that. And then took a picture. You can kind of see like a little stoop in the window there or something like that. But it also looks like there's a person screaming downward out of it as well. So, I mean, I could look at that and say, all right, I can see where one of the towers from the church is in here. But that's about it. They're not. They they are very blurry and kind of you know that you know it could be whatever. But, very open to interpretation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how would they go about testing him? Then I'm I'm assuming they did tests on the guy to prove that he was wrong or or whatnot. So, you know, didn't they check for something hidden inside the gizmo? I think so. I think part of what he was doing with the whole screaming. And, and acting drunk or or getting drunk was was, yeah, was creating okay. distractions from what was going on. So everything was so crazy and frantic that he could do this quick little maneuver that people would miss, except for magicians who were trained to look for that kind of thing. So they the magicians were convinced that this wasn't uh, real. Um, I don't think Eisenberg was convinced. Uh, in fact, he he challenged anyone to prove it, like absolutely prove it. Uh, that it was fake because, you know, he didn't have to believe the magicians were right. The, magici the magicians could have had their assumptions and, you know, maybe they were wrong. Maybe, you know, he was actually doing what he said he was. Who can be sure? Um, so uh, the amazing Randy, James Randy, who's a big debunker. Oh, I love this uh, part of the story. <laughs> yeah. So he came in, you know, and that, that's what he did was he exposed uh, charlatans. And he said, uh, he said, this is, you know, this is crazy. This is not real. And I can, I can do it. But the deal that, that Eisenbud put out said that you had to do everything exactly how Ted Sirius did it. And James Randi said that that meant, uh, and this is his quote, that meant being inside a Faraday cage naked, a, a considerable distance from the camera. He would never be allowed to touch as Sirius frequently, frequently did and would have to get roaring drunk beforehand as Sirius usually was when he worked. So he declined. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe and then the New York the New York Times reviewed the whole thing and they're like, no, we don't think that this is uh, legitimate either. We think that this guy is just not running his experiments properly. And uh, eventually, there's another guy who who wrote a huge website about the whole thing because he was a witness at one of the tests, and he said that he would he would watch Ted get really drunk and obnoxious, and they would do lots of tests and. Uh, and during these tests, you know, a lot of times nothing was happening. You know, they would try all these, phot these photographs and none of them have an image on it. And eventually there'd be a few that would work. But he said at one point he finally saw, um, he said he saw a shiny object reflect from inside the paper gizmo that he always held up to the camera lens. Uh, so he finally had slipped up and he could see, he actually saw what had happened. Mm. So at that point, I think he was pretty convinced that, okay, he was doing something wrong. But 
other than that, I don't know that anyone ever conclusively proved that he was a fraud. Um, but that seemed, you know, you come to your own conclusions. I, I think it's pretty clear that he was a fraud. But, you know, some people may say, no, maybe something just slipped up and uh, maybe he was really doing it. Or maybe that was part of the technique. I don't know. But I, I think love, it's a pretty um, great story. You've got on here the thing he said uh, that when they called him out as being a charlatan. I hereby state that if by any competent jury of scientific investigators, photographers and conjurers, any chosen by them can any normal way or combination of ways duplicate under similar conditions, wholly run on sentence, Batman, the range of phenomena produced by Ted, I shall, number one, abjure all further work with Ted, number two, buy up and publicly burn all available copies of the World of Ted series, number three, take a full page ad in popular photography in order to to be represented photography wearing a dunce cap and number four, spend my spare time for the rest of my life selling door to door subscriptions to this amazing magazine. No time limit is stipulated. <laughs> yeah. So you can see he was really convinced, right? Yeah. He was exactly. sure that this thing was legit. So, um, um, so no one, no one, no one passed that test. Like I said, Randy was going to do it until he realized what similar conditions actually meant. And he was like, Oh, forget it. <laughs> That's odd for Randy, because he's usually pretty much on, you know, jump on these people and get to them. But yeah, true. He, he probably figured he had better things to do with his time. So, yeah, exactly. Moving on, since we're on the subject of photography, we've got astral projection and the quest to photograph the soul. Um, honestly, I did not read this entire article. So give us w what was going on here. For, well, first off, astral projection, the idea that you can project your soul out of your body um and like go off and do things it's probably best that i can't do that because i would probably get myself into a lot of marital trouble but um <laughs> roll over a couple of restaurants <laughs> <laughs> that's what i would do um well you can't exactly yeah. eat food when you're astral so no you wouldn't eat it this is true um, if tip over a bunch of tables and ruin a fryer it would oh, fall right through yeah you. Yeah, this is true. You wouldn't. Yeah, you still wouldn't be able to do anything. Take that, ha, huh? huh? Anyways, yeah, this is kind of like. Did you guys see the movie Insidious? Yep. No, I did not. Uh, it's, it's a great movie. So, um, yeah, that's that was sort of the premise of that movie was the idea of your your soul, I guess, leaving your physical body and then traveling through space, dimensions, whatever it may be, to other to the beyond that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yes. So. Yeah, so this was a case uh, in 1937 uh, where the International Institute for Psychical Research wanted to do an experiment to see if they could capture astral projection on film. Like, how cool would that be, like, to actually capture that, uh, that soul leaving the, the physical body? So in order to do that, they needed a couple things. They had to have the right equipment for something like that. And they also had to have someone who thought that he could um, astral project himself. So, you know, leave his physical body behind behind and was willing to have them photograph it. Mm -hmm. So so they thought they found uh, they found both. Um, they found a volunteer. It was an author whose name was William Gerhardy, who said that he'd had lots of out of body experiences. Um, he said he visited friends homes and was able to go back to his physical body and then tell his friend what he'd seen. Uh, he said he'd walked on ceilings. He'd passed through solid walls, all that kind of stuff that, you know, a, a non-physical being could do. Um, so for the, re the equipment to do this then, the researchers, they set up this whole cloud chamber thing. They had cameras on it. And they thought, okay, we can capture the first photograph of a human soul if this thing works. Uh, so they, they got him in there. 
Um, and the guy, the volunteer, he was a little bit, a little bit nervous about the whole thing because he realized that if he's in this this covered tank projecting himself, uh, he might not be able to come back to his physical body if he can't, if this tank is blocking out or something. And he thought that that would spell his own death. Um, of course, it didn't because he lived until uh, 1977, so it all worked out for him. Um, but I don't, I don't know that they ever fully went through with the whole experiment. It was something that they planned, uh, but there's no photos of the soul. So if they did it, it didn't work. Um, so we know that much. But uh, in terms of you know whether or not astral projection could actually occur or not, or if it's just dreams, there's another guy, a psychic researcher named Harewood Carrington, who, who wrote a whole book on astral projection and was very convinced that this was a real thing and uh, got angry when skeptics said it may be just dreams. He thought that there's no way. He said, um, he said, let me see, he said, uh, in the dream, interesting. yeah, in the dream, a man may not know that he is unconscious, but when he is conscious, he does know positively that he is not dreaming. Why? Simply because we have a distinct understanding of both present and past when conscious. So do not form the idea that conscious astral projection is but a dream reminiscence. So he was he was convinced. Um, but as I put in the article, he was also convinced in post-mortem telepathic hypnotism. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he wrote this guy wrote a ton of books on, on all sorts of interesting psychic phenomena. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't know that astral projection is actually something that, that we can do. <laughs> it sounds awesome if we can. But it seems this reminds me of uh, the Institute of Noetic Studies when they uh, supposedly did that thing where they were able to measure the weight of a human soul leaving the body or something like that. Oh, right. Yeah, there's a movie about that, wasn't there? It's like, uh, uh, yeah, it's I forgot like, the number, something grams, like 21 yeah. grams or something. Mm -hmm. And they stated that they weren't able to measure any kind of a soul leaving a, an animal like a dog or a cat or a pet or something like that, but that they, they had had uh, proof or they had registered something of when a uh, person's soul was leaving their body. It was a husband and wife thing. I'm not sure if it was the husband that passed or the wife that passed when they were doing the uh, – when they were actually doing the experiment and you see on occasion, you know, photographs or supposed photographs of souls leaving the body when a person dies or something like that um, along those lines. But that's Pretty what lofty it, claims. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't know, you know, yeah, um, there's a, there's another story I have about that. A guy named Hippolyte Baraduk. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. That's a name for you. A, yeah. He took a photo of his wife um, and, there's photos of her. It's like 20 minutes after her death where you see this misty cloud over her, her body. And he claimed that that was her soul. He also claimed that he could project his thoughts on the photographs. Oh, this was in okay. the late 1800s, early 1900s. So he made an early influence for, uh, for Ted Sirius. Well, since you brought it up, let's go into the case <laughs> of the guy uh, Davenport, William Davenport, who was trying to hypnotize people back from the dead. <laughs> Nobody's home. <laughs> yeah. Lights are off, bro. Move along. Well, in, in Davenport's defense, he was doing it as a favor. <laughs> right. So this, there was a hypnotist named Arthur. Dude, Edison. I need you to do me a favor, okay? Yeah, I'm listening. All right. So when I die, I want you to hypnotize me back to life, okay? Can you do that? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Okay, you sure now? Yeah, I can, I can do this, dude. I'm here for you, bro. All right, cool. Let's do this. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, really. 
So there was this, this other hypnotist named Arthur Everton. And this, this took place in 1909. So he had done a show. This was in New Jersey. And, uh, and he had a, a volunteer come up from the audience who was actually part of the show. But he came up as a volunteer. No one else knew that you know he was a part of the show. Uh, but he, he was designed to kind of help other people feel like it's okay to be hypnotized so that they would come up, up afterward. Yeah, it was a plan. So they put him – yeah, yeah. So they put him um, – they had him lay down between two chairs, so like head on one chair and the feet on the other chair, and then his body in between was completely rigid through the hypnotism. And then this hypnotist stood on top of him, kind of you know jumped a little bit up and down, I suppose, and showed how rigid the body was. And then he stood him back up, still completely rigid, and said, okay, relax now. And the guy re- went to relax his body, and all of a sudden he just collapsed to the ground, hit his head in the chair, and he died. So it looked like this hypnotist killed him, which was really unfortunate. So, so he <laughs> No, was no, no, this is wow. okay. I got this. I got this. <laughs> That's what he was saying. But they arrested him. So he was sitting in a prison cell, and he's like, I'm telling you, this guy's not dead. He's probably just still in the trance I put him in. He's only he, mostly dead. Yeah, just mostly dead. Exactly. <laughs> Beautiful so he plumage. Said, if you could just if you could just let me get him out of the trance, the guy will be okay. Get him out of the morgue. And you know, the police are like, no, he's dead. You're in jail. You know, we'll deal with you later. And so he finally convinced the police to bring his friend, uh, this other guy Davenport, William Davenport who was also a hypnotist. He was an amateur hypnotist. He said, can you just have this guy try it? So they, they agreed. And so they had this guy, William Davenport, come to the morgue. And he got to examine the body. And he's actually started whispering to him, uh, touching his cheeks, whispering in his ear. He's like, Bob, your heart action. Attend. Listen, Bob, your heart action is strong. Bob, your heart begins to beat. And nothing happened. And he was getting a little frustrated. So he started <laughs> shouting, Bob, do you hear me? And, you know, he, he didn't because he was dead. But he kept trying. <laughs> and eventually, he realized that this guy was coming back. And, uh, and so it looked like Everton was kind of going to be screwed. But they went ahead and did an autopsy later, and they realized that he had suffered from some heart conditions beforehand. And it looked like they said he eventually suffered a ruptured aorta. So it looked like it was just a really crazy bad coincidence for Everton that he happened to die at that very moment. It looks like it probably would have happened if he wasn't on stage. Um, so like I said, bad timing for him. So he eventually, he got let off. He, he didn't um, do any prison time beyond that. Uh, so after that, you know, he kind of stayed away from, from that whole thing. <laughs> he didn't want to get himself in any trouble again. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy story that, um, that, you know, he thought this might be his ticket out of prison is I can bring the guy back from the dead through some hypnotism. I could see this turning comical and like him jumping on the guy's chest and like smashing your heart works. Wake up, you know, <laughs> the power Come of on already. compels you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At this point, I got to ask, cause I get asked this question a lot too, from all the stuff that we cover. How do you find this? Where do you research to find this stuff? Um, so that's a good question. So this one, since we just talked about this one, one thing I like to do is just sort of dig around and see what I can find. So, I'll dig through like various newspaper archives online and I'll just type in some, some weird keywords and see what shows up. So this one in particular, I figured if I typed in ventriloquist or not ventriloquist, that's a different story. If I typed in hypnotist, uh, then I'd probably find something odd because if hypnotist, if a hypnotist made the news, um, there'd be a strange reason why, right? It's not like a normal uh, thing to cover. 
So sure enough, uh, I came across this story. Uh, let me see. The headline here was great. It said, couldn't awaken hypnotist subject. Friend cries in vain to the man dead in the morgue that his heart is beating. <laughs> so, uh, so I just kind of looked into it from there. And, and I've found a bunch of stories that way, you know, or sometimes I look up one thing and I find another thing that's just crazy. I was, uh, I was looking up a story about uh, Nikola Tesla, who I knew was trying to get in touch with uh, Martians. And I, I just kind of briefly knew about this. So I, I was looking into that and I, I ended up digging up this other story that was even more fascinating, uh, which was about a guy in the 1920s. Uh, his name was Hugh Mansfield Robinson um, in London. And he was in communication with a Martian woman named Umaruru. And this was 1926. So he was convinced he was telepathically talking to this woman. Uh, she had big ears, tall hair. She was almost seven feet tall. Huh. And Mars was just a lovely place to live. And eventually he got the radio tower in London, the, the tallest radio tower in the world, to send a telegram to Mars. So they did this when Mars was in opposition, meaning you know it's its closest point to Earth, probably about 35 million miles away. And they sent this message using their standard long-distance rate, which was a good bargain, and, uh, and they got no reply. And so and this made headlines like all over the place. It's crazy. And then two years later, he tried it again when Mars was once again close to Earth and still got no reply. And he was convinced that our scientists here were just too stupid to understand how to receive their messages. And he said the Martians were very angry with us, and they were laughing, in fact, at our scientists who were too incompetent to understand how to receive Martian messages. So, so looking for Tesla, digging for Tesla led me to this guy, um, which I ended up writing a story about. And it's actually led to a new book I'm writing, too, which is, which is exciting. But, um, yeah, it's one of these things like you, you never know what you're going to find. So between that and then um, just my other weird interest from other projects I've done, I'll, I'll just kind of tap into that at times as well. So I got to ask, because I know how this works with me. How many hours a night do you spend going down the rabbit hole, not knowing where you're going to end up? <laughs> um, it's just little little pockets of time. Like when I have a little free time at work, I'll kind of I'll dig a little bit here and there uh, and see where it goes. But um, it's it, it's I try not to I try to keep it kind of quick so I don't get too too deep in anything and spend too much time. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, I do it pretty often, I guess <laughs> enough to have written. I don't, I don't know, even know how much I've written I've over a hundred articles on the site so far. But usually how, when I find guests that do this kind of stuff, when I go to a blog, I'll be like, all right, how many posts does this person have to be able to have a relevant conversation with them? And the other thing is, is what is the variety of strangeness that they have? And in prep for this show, I've probably been to your site 20 times and every time I go there, I still find more and more weirder and weirder stuff spread out across the site. And a good 90% of it is stuff that I haven't heard of before. And not to toot our own horn, but we're, we're pretty much purveyors of strange. You know, we've seen a lot of stuff out there. So that's the other thing. When somebody comes along and they have stuff that we've never seen before and they have a lot of it, that really piques our interest. And you very well deliver the goods, sir. I, I, have, to, uh, I have to say that. Um, oh, good. I appreciate hearing that. I have to ask you, though, this is the very first thing that I saw on your site, and it stuck in my head from there, was the table made out of body parts with the foot right in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to talk about that. You yeah. So, well, so that was something I, I, uh, I wrote about because I was there. I saw it. So this was at the 
um, History of Medicine Museum in Paris. So anyone, if anyone's in Paris, uh, definitely check out the History of Medicine. It's a pretty fascinating museum. It's got all sorts of medical instruments. Um, I, I was actually looking at these things and, and just not feeling well, looking at a lot of things, just imagining the pain that was inflicted upon people to try to fix other pains, which I don't know if it was ever worth it. Um, so it's it's a decent-sized museum, and you've got all these, these cabinets you're walking by with all these amazing things in it, all these horrible instruments and skulls and mis- misshapen body parts, all kinds of things, right? And then at the bottom of these steps, there's a small sort of unassuming table that you could very easily just walk right by and, and pay no attention to. But if that foot in the middle grabs your attention, it, it, at first it just looks like there's a foot in the middle of a table, right? But then as you stare at it a little bit longer, you see that there's a couple of ears. And then if you read the little card that's there, you understand that everything else that's in designing that table, because there's a whole bunch of uh, design around that foot, I guess I'll say, against people aren't seeing it as they're hearing this. Um, but if you check it on the site, you will see. And everything on there is made from some sort of part of the human. So there's blood, uh, there's parts of the liver, parts of the lung, glands, um, parts of vertebrae. And it, <laughs> so it's all these things making this this beautiful, beautifully odd table. And it was made uh, made by a guy for as a gift to Napoleon III. His name, let me just double check his name. I don't remember offhand. His name was Marini. Efesio Marini? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Efesio Marini. (laughs) Okay. Right. Yeah, so he made this as a gift, and this was was something that he was doing. He was sort of experimenting with this sort of human preservation. And at one point, he was looking into making making bodies into these preserved pieces of art or, or just preserving them like as columns wherever it might be, basically taking the person and preserving it as something that you could hold on to, um, sort of plasticizing it, I suppose. And eventually, uh, I think that he stopped doing it because it was just becoming a little bit too cost prohibitive. But it's something that, that fascinates me because I feel like I've, I've always had an issue with, with burial, um, which I get into some of that on the side as well, about people being buried alive. Just wondering if that's the wrong thing to do and how much that would suck. But this seems like a great way to be preserved. Like, I, I kind of love the idea of becoming a table. I think that's what? pretty cool. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I mean, you know, then all of a sudden you have your loved ones and they're they're still there in some interesting way. Like, do you guys know about uh, Jeremy Bentham's body? No. Yep, I do. Of course. Yeah, so Jeremy Bentham, the <laughs> philosopher, he's known for uh, as a founder of utilitarianism. And his body was preserved. Uh, his his head was preserved, and his his basically there's like a wax body that holds his real insides inside of it. Yep. <laughs> so what? it still goes on Whoa, tour. Hold no, on, bro. We covered this guy. I don't remember. We covered this guy. <laughs> We've covered a lot of weird stuff that I've forgotten about over the years. Okay, so okay, well, maybe I need a refresher. <laughs> so the guy made a wax body and put his insides into it. Yes. So he could still be rolled out into meetings and things like that and still be present, basically. And he's sitting there with his hat on and he's dressed just like, as he was, you know, in the, I think the 1700s. And it's just, it's great. So he was actually just on it's exhibit <laughs> in New York. Yeah. He was just on exhibit in New York. They, they brought his body back out. I think it had been locked away for a while. 
And it used to be exhibited with his embalmed head, but the embalmed head has now been separated from the rest of the body, which has a wax head on it, just to clarify yeah, that. It has um, to, because kids used to steal it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah of, that guy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I forgot about him having a waxed body with his parts being stored in it, though. It's, I, I completely yeah. forgot about that. So he, this is, here's a guy who figured out a way to basically cheat death, and he's still, he's still entertaining people. You know, hundreds of years later, people can still go see Jeremy Bentham and just, you know, <laughs> gaze at him in wonder. And I think that's pretty awesome. Well, it's definitely a forever type situation. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know how to argue this with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean. I, 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 I really don't have an opposing stance here. I'm not sure how to approach it. <laughs> well, there's that. I don't know if I'd want to be made into a table, though. Uh, this table is formed from <laughs> but, petrified brains, blood, bile, liver, lungs, and glands upon which rests a foot, four ears, and, a, and sections of vertebrae, which are also petrified. But see, it comes down to creativity, right? Like, this guy made a table. Um, but you could he could have made you into, you know, most anything else, too. He had the technique to preserve all this. And it's just a matter of how, did, how would you want that done for you? So, so you want to be a table imagine, then. imagine having a catalog of options. So do you want to you want to be a, is is there a, a different preferred method of, of, of being shown or the tables where you want to be? Um, I mean, I haven't figured out a specific, but you know, it's the table <laughs> night, you know. I have to figure out the specific. <laughs> <laughs> this is just the oddest conversation we've ever had with a guest. <laughs> if you were to die, what piece of furniture would you be made into? I don't know, a chair. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Maybe like a nice picture frame. Imagine having your picture in a picture frame made by you. I mean, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> I just want someone to save my tattoos. That's all I want. Yeah, that's a thing now. Yeah, I've seen yep. that. People do that kind of thing. That's pretty interesting. It's expensive. Man, yeah. is it expensive. And there's upkeep to it oh, as well. really? Yeah. Yeah, it's a long maybe, process of drying out the skin and stuff. Oh, that's a, that actually brings up another thought. You could be made into like a uh, – they used to do that. Um, I'm forgetting the term for it now, but they would bind books with human skin. Yep. So yeah, that, that's another – Vaguely covered nice. it like, on here? We've vaguely covered it on here. The problem is, is there's a bunch of topics that we really want to cover on this show, but we can't find anybody that's willing to come on to talk about them. And there was, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there a company out there that was doing that or offering that as a service? Yeah, they still do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we couldn't, they they wouldn't get back with us about doing an interview or anything like that. They, they would not, Mm. they would not speak with us. And we've been, we were kidding. Yeah. And, um, there's uh, there's a university out there that actually has a couple of um, I don't want I, I don't know what you'd call them the there are people that are, are into preserving these books of human skin and there's history behind them and we, we've been able unable thus far to get anybody on here to talk about the topic and it's not that we want to laugh at it it's a genuine curiosity of ours is to have how these books of human skin get made how many of them are there out there what is in I mean what do you put in a book of human skin you know short of you know, a diary, like if I were to make a diary or something like that, or if I were to do, right. you know, a memoir about a myself. Yeah, exactly. It would yeah. be the, the book of me, you know, I'd, yeah. and then you'd get an image of the Necronomicon on it. I guess. I don't know, I don't know. man. It would be <laughs> I want the Lorax. <laughs> so it's, we've never been I able mean, to get anybody on here to talk about it. Hmm. So, well, um, Lobo, did you want to ask him something or you want me to bounce on yes. to another topic? 
the book that you wrote of God made me do it. Yes. You need to talk about this, like for reals. Because, you know, we always hear about like the devil made me do it or I was high. God gets to skate by on a lot of stuff. Well, God, <sighs> God gives people some really bad advice. <laughs> I mean, it's it's uh, this was an idea I had. And uh, I started digging up some examples to see like, OK, do I have enough to make a, a book out of this? Because you hear it a lot. I mean, you hear like the sort of general things. Um you know, athletes do it all the time. You know, oh, God told me I would do this, or God told me that, you know, whatever. And it, that's sort of harmless type of stuff, but personally, I find it kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's some politicians that would use use God a lot as, like, directing their policies or whatever, which is also really annoying. So I started digging into it, and I could not believe how much information I found. Just so many stories. And it really ranges from the ludicrous to the absolutely horrific. And people use God as... as such a scapegoat for any kind of crazy thing that they want to do. And, and when I say horrific, I mean, there were some things that were too horrific to even include in the book. I just wasn't even comfortable with it. Um, and that, and I included uh, cannibalism and uh, uh, beheading people. Um, so that gives you a sense of that was okay for the book, but other stuff wasn't. Then you, you have like the crazy stuff, like a guy who said, do you remember there was a case in early 2000s, Terry Schiavo, who was in the hospice yep. in Florida? Yep. It was a big mm-hmm. news story. There was a guy who said, God told me to come juggle outside of Terry Schiavo's hospice. So he drove like 400 miles with his family and he stood outside the hospice juggling. And he said, God told him to do that. You know, and, and it didn't make her what? better. Yeah. So there's that. There was, <laughs> there was a guy who, uh, who spent years building a, a, a giant um, Jesus in his garage of toothpicks, 35,000 toothpicks, because God told him to do that. I think he lost his job and he hurt his hand in the process well uh, you know you you want people to have hobbies yeah 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 true <laughs> um i mean there's just all kinds of crazy stuff there's another guy this is a funny one uh god told him to tp the toilet the, i'm sorry god told him to tp the police station um, <laughs> so he went outside the police station and threw toilet paper all over their trees and you know of course he got arrested and it's one of those things like what is god like 12 years old or something like why would he tell you to do this this doesn't make any sense so, this reminds yeah, me of Monty Python and the the quest for the Holy Grail, where they've got the little cartoon and they're talking to God, and they're like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "I'm averting my eyes to the Lord." And God says, "Well, stop doing that." You know, and everything they're doing, like according to what they're supposed to do, God's yelling at them for doing, and He's telling them to do other stuff. Right. I don't know. I'm just full of Monty Python references to my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it was incredible how many weird things that the people said God told them to do. There's another woman who was directing traffic in Florida topless because God told her to do that. I remember that. Yes, we covered yep. that. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, gosh, that was probably uh, like 2009 or something like that. Yeah. Um, somewhere around there. But, yeah, just like all sorts of crazy stuff. And, of course, there's, um, you know, there were like the evangelists uh, who used God to, to take money from people and do all sorts of horrible things with that. Do you remember um, when Oral Roberts told everybody yeah. that he saw a 900-foot talking Jesus in the middle of the desert? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's in the book That's as well. Normal. <laughs> so. yeah, if you're yeah, in Ayahuasca. Oh, man. What's your, favorite, what's your favorite story that you covered in the book? Oh, boy. Uh, that's a tough one. I mean, the... The toothpick guy I thought was pretty funny. That was a wild story. 
just completely absurd. I'm trying to to find that one quickly to, to talk a little bit more about it. We do um, a section on our show every once in a while called Biblical Jackass. And it's, yep. um, it's <laughs> we all. just got a guy who was Jesus who broke into a, what was it, a Taco Bell? or Yeah. Yeah, he like ate that. all the taco shells. God told him to break in and eat all the taco shells and something else. I don't remember what it Mom was. Do. Yes, that's what it was. And we do this section of the show every once in a while where as time goes on, I, and I'll gladly send them to you as I find them. I find these articles where people com- that do these things in the name of religion. It's not it's not making so much making fun of religion. It's more of making fun of the things that people do in the name of religion. And um we, we have found like we had a guy up here recently that stopped in the middle of traffic, got out, caused a big traffic jam and was running around shirtless and yelling everybody that God told was telling him to do this stuff. Um, meth may have been involved in many of these stories. Drugs may have been involved. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, right. Possibly. Yes. Um, there's another funny one where a guy was doing a fast for for weeks. Let me see. I think it was a. Uh, 52 days this guy was fasting this was in the 30s and uh and finally he said that god, yeah and he said god told him he could end it by drinking squirrel soup and squirrel then after soup. he drank the squirrel soup he he told god it didn't taste good and he asked if he could have some milk and bread and god told him that he couldn't have any milk and bread yet because that might kill him so uh <laughs> so that was a big mess for him <laughs> there was another guy who said uh, that God told him to kill his wife after she she went and do the dishes, Ooh. and that was I think in the 30s. Um, and so that again, that was just I think a little bit overkill. You know, I think maybe they could have worked that out in a more civil way. Maybe that's great. <laughs> so you've got another book out, which is the one about 101 genuinely bizarre items found on eBay. I believe yes. it is. So yeah, found on found on eBay. Are, are both of these books still available? Can people still get these on like Amazon? I'm assuming. Yeah, you can go up on it. You can go on Amazon. Amazon or found on eBay is usually sold on eBay too. <laughs> How ironic! It's a good place for it. So, yeah. what was uh, what's found on eBay, and what's the ones in there that stick out to you the most, if possible? So, found on eBay, um, I was trying to find the weirdest things I could find. And then I was emailing the sellers really weird questions to see what the, how they responded. Oh, this is good. And it was good. great. Yeah, because no matter how like weird of a question I had, they always came back like trying to make a sale. You know, so they were good with it. Uh, like for example, there was a a hornet's nest, which is actually quite beautiful. I mean, hornet's nests are little works of art. You know. Yeah, they are. They are. So beautiful. I asked them. I said, "Would would hornets be attracted to this and seek shelter inside?" Or can it be stuffed with candy and be made into a pinata? I do oddball <laughs> children's parties. Thank you very much. And the seller oh wrote back. He said, no, the hornets would not be attracted to the nest. It would make a great pinata. I never thought of that. It has some beautiful pink and blue colors around it, but it would be perfectly safe. <laughs> okay. So, so that was funny. And then there's, I think my favorite thing, this was one of the first ones that helped me get the, the deal for this. It was a, uh, a deer poop paperweight. And and it was hmm. the seller who made these things, she called them pooper weights, which I thought was pretty clever. And what I loved about it was was the craftsmanship that went into this thing. You know, it's a it's like a glass paper paperweight. And she collected these um, deer droppings and put them in the paperweight and then she kind of surrounded it with some snow and some little evergreens. So it had a very nice natural look. 
and then she sells it in a nice gold foil gift box. So it's really quite, you know, lovely, I guess. And I wrote to her and I asked her if she knew where the poop was found. And I told her that I'm a collector of animal droppings from all around the world. And I'm curious as to where this poop comes from an area that I'm targeting. And I also wanted to confirm it was a good sturdy paperweight. And so she told me that she has <laughs> she has Massachusetts and Maine white tailed deer poop. The bottom of the paperweight is a heavy felt. And she also tried to sell me on wild turkey poop from Massachusetts and porcupine poop from Maine. So <laughs> that I just thought was pretty You, awesome. sir, are win. <laughs> there's a place in Maine that sells moose poop art. Oh, and moose I, poop art. Yeah, it's t- like little characters made out of the moose poop. And like it's like legitimate. I, I only know this because my wife's family owns pieces of this. Because wow. you know, you're from me. You never told me this. So, you never asked. It's not something you just randomly share. It's hey, not how's something you just randomly ask somebody. <laughs> what? Yeah, they sell them at Kittery Trading Posts, too. That's how, I want to look that up. That sounds good. Yeah, you've got our attention now. Continue. So they're, yeah, they're pictures or what are they? No, they're just like little characters. Like they're made out of moose poop. I just, uh, hold on a second. Wait, 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 no. What, <laughs> you mean like little stand-up guys on legs and stuff, or? Yeah, sort of. Well, kinda. <laughs> it's all right, Mark. We're finding you content like right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm gonna look this up afterward. It's just. It's. Oh, I can't. It's. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> she, the woman's out of Somerville, Maine. She makes uh, it's I don't know it's they're little sculptures made of poop <laughs> like she moose are ungulates so you the know, stuff I'm gonna is Google dry. It right She's I mean it's some, an untapped medium, right? Yeah, well, I suppose if they're making <laughs> art out of porcupine shit, then yeah, why not? Moose poop. What did you said? She's from Somerville, Maine. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Somerville, Maine. Okay, what do I do with su- uh, poop art? Is that what I'm looking for here? I'm yeah. going to totally derail the show here. They're Hold on a moose second. Poop art. Moose like, poop there are little art. moose heads made out of the poop. and Yeah. There's an exhibit. She's actually got an exhibit. Yeah. Maybe? She makes magnets and jewelry and like all kinds of stuff. All right. I'm going to put the link here in the uh, chat box or whatever if I can here. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. That I, I have to look this up. Thing. I apologize, guys. <laughs> Oh, okay. Hold on here. Mark, if you want to go ahead and click on this too, you're more than welcome to if you've got Skype on your computer. Maine woman makes art for moose poop. Yeah. Turdy works. Her name is called Turdy Works Moose Turds. Yes. One person's trash is... I can't believe you guys have never heard of this before. I see it. (laughs) He's like, but I don't believe it. Here's a clock made out of moose poop. Yes. (laughs) Oh, she's got (laughs) t-shirts. She's got shirts that she's made. Yes. Like, this is legitimate. Like, this is, like, an actual thing. I mean, okay, laugh at the freaking hick. Yeah, we have this kind of stuff. I don't know. Oh, man. Well, anyways. You've ever seen two turds alike, she said. I mean, I've never studied them, but uh, the, the poop in my deer poop paperweight looks very similar to each other. Yeah. So there you go. Wait, you actually uh, ordered see, one of the paperweights? You, you actually got one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You, I, I you went have, through and bought it. Yeah. You, sir, are the man. <laughs> so, so that begs me to well, ask, how many weird things did you actually buy that are in the book? 
I got I got a bunch mainly for the purpose of being able to photograph it for the book. That's awesome. And then in some cases, they they would send me a good photo if I couldn't get it, um, or someone else, you know, other people bought things. There was one guy. Um, he was selling a, a John F. Candy garden gnome, which is on the cover of the book. It's pretty awesome. It's JFK looking like a garden gnome. He's dressed like a little garden gnome. Mm-hmm. That's and awesome. I really loved it. But I think I, I bid on it, but I didn't meet his reserve. And no one met the reserve. So he agreed to send it to me just for the purpose of photographing it. And then I had to send it back. <laughs> That's awesome. So people were really cool about helping make this come through. Uh, along the lines of like weird animal things, another odd one in here is the bull scrotum bag i've seen uh, those yeah I've seen with, those and they sell the walking sticks that are made out of the penises yes i have that as well in fact i had to end up using it so i bought the the bull <laughs> penis paint wait, wait, what what <laughs> yeah they then, sell they, they're awesome yeah yeah they stretch the whole penis down the steel rod so it makes a cane <clears throat> and uh, it's it's kind of gross and then, <laughs> I had knee surgery about four years ago, four or five years ago now, and so I need a cane, you know, so just to you, get me around a little bit. And so I was like, "Oh, I have a cane. Stick. I have one." Yeah. So I, I was bringing it to work every day, and you know, I mentioned I work in advertising, um, and so I'd have people going down the hall, and they'd say, "Oh, that's a cool cane, Mark," and I'd say, "Oh, thanks. It's a bull penis." <laughs> like what? Yeah, you know, the last thing anyone expected to hear. So it, it made <laughs> it made it a little bit of uh, fun during post surgery time. Does it yeah, look like my, a penis? Uh, I mean, it it's, like it's a, a little stick. Yes, right, exactly. They sell uh, at the pet store that I'm a member at. They sell uh, chew sticks that are made out of bull penises. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, they're called bull chewies. <laughs> my buddy had one of those bull bags that he kept his marbles in and we were kids there you go okay so you That's got a bull penis for, put, put balls in and you yeah, got a, see, in a, in a bull go. bag you've got you've got both of those currently right you've got yes, well, you, you have do, the yes. penis so we, right, we already understand that you, you have you have a bull penis <laughs> <laughs> there this were, is the oddest uh, interview ever <laughs> there were a variety of penis um auctions let me see. I did ask a question about the. Oh, here's what I asked about the bull penis. If you if you want to hear. No, go right ahead. Yeah, You've got the show, dude. <laughs> I, it's 36 and a half inches long, and I said that's a heck of a penis. I'd like to make a pinwheel out of it. Is this something that can be placed in some type of mounting device? And they said, Yes, you are correct. There's no reason you couldn't create a pinwheel out of it. So I thought that was nice. Could be a little crafty with it. It's great. Um, there's also penis. raccoon penis bones. Yep. Had those. There's, There's actually a, a lot of cheeto bones you can get. Yeah, there <laughs> are. Yes. Which is that was I I think before this I didn't know that that, that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, dude, we're like one of the only primates that doesn't have a bone. Right. Which is messed up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it gives a new meaning to word broke dick, that's for sure. I want to ask you what the oddest item you bought out of it, but I think we've pretty much covered that. Uh, oh, no, you haven't. No. Okay. <laughs> Please don't tell me you bought a ghost jar. A ghost jar? Uh, I, I remember the ghost, the ghost jars. Jar. I don't I, – I didn't. I think that was a phenomenon that sort of started after the book. I do remember when that was, that was a I thing. I sold one on eBay. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> Good for you. 
No, I got a, I got a penny for the auction, but whatever. I think, uh, I think the weirdest thing I bought was a, a bracelet made out of goat toenails. What? Yeah, that's that's pretty weird and creepy. Uh, it's a lot of goat toenails. And I don't know if you're familiar with what goat toenails look like, but they're pretty yeah. large. Yeah. Oh, that thing must smell horrible. No, it's it's okay. It doesn't smell. Wow. Fortunately. So that's why I can still keep it in the house. It's how much did life. you pay for that? Uh, hang on. I'm trying to let me let me find it really quick. I don't quite remember what I paid for that one. I don't think it was that much. Oh, here it is. Uh, oh, you know what? This one did not sell. I think the guy sent it to me. So you I got it zero for bids free. in the book, but I think he sent me the photograph. Was like you can just have it. <laughs> nice. But it was it was on sale. It was on sale for nine ninety nine. Was the starting bid. So it was never like a, a big ticket item. Well, What's the most yeah, expensive thing you paid for? The most expensive thing I paid for? Yeah, through the um, book. It may have been, well, okay. I'll tell you the most expensive thing in the book, which I did not buy, was a two-headed calf, full full mount taxidermy for $20,000. Um, no one bought that. That was overpriced. I think the most expensive thing I bought was an antique French enema. Wait a minute, hold, say that again? An antique French enema. Oh, okay. So I did hear you right the first time. Yeah, an enema, 19th century enema machine. A machine? Yeah. So are we talking like the ones they have here, which was a hot water bottle and a hose? This or? is French, of course not. It's like a nice uh, cylindrical device. I'm not quite sure how exactly it worked. Um, Fortunately for me, uh, but there were 25 <laughs> bids on it, and somehow I guess uh, you would connect something to it and build up some pressure, and I guess the fluids would go through and do their thing. Oh, let's it's do. an interesting looking device. Okay, what was the correspondence on that? Because I know you had to have sent something to them. Uh, that one, you know what? I didn't have a letter printed for that one. Some some of these don't have letters with them, unfortunately. Wow. Do you have the stuff on display? I, I do have that on display. I have a whole cabinet of curiosities, and that's in that it. That is awesome. Wow. Yeah. That is fantastic. Wow. <laughs> I, I, have you thought about doing another one of these books? Because it sounded like you had a lot of fun doing this. It was a blast, and I, I did want to do more. Um, the publisher didn't go for another one, and then we... We almost sold to another publisher. I wanted to make it like a, an annual book, you know, like every year, here's the craziest stuff. Uh, and I almost had another publisher, and then they, they kind of changed their mind at the last minute. I think they couldn't make it work financially for them, which was disappointing. Yeah, um, I, I'd, love to, I'd love to do it if anyone's listening. <laughs> if not, <laughs> you've got to, blog space work for on it. it. Yeah, I mean, it'd be fun to do. There's, <laughs> there's no shortage of, of content out there for it. That's for sure. Um, well, we're, we're coming up on the hour mark. We got a little bit of time left. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about specifically? Cause I, I said that at the beginning of the show, if there's any topics out there that you wanted to bring up specifically that I would give you the floor to do that. So is there anything that comes to mind that we haven't discussed yet that, uh, is in your realm of curiosities and strangeness? Well, I'd love to talk about the embalmed head of Oliver Cromwell. Do that. If we could for just a moment. Go ahead. So this was, this was a, a recent book I did called called The Embalmed Head of Oliver Cromwell, a memoir. So just a quick background, um, in case listeners uh, don't know Oliver Cromwell's story, but he, of course, was the Lord Protector of England, Scotland, and Ireland in the mid-1600s. This was 
during a time when the English Civil War was going on, and Cromwell led the charge to have King Charles I beheaded in 1649. So at that point, the monarchy came to an end in England, and Cromwell took over until he died in 1658, at which point he was embalmed and buried in Westminster Abbey. A few years later, Charles II restored the monarchy, and he was pretty pissed off about his dad getting beheaded, so he exhumed the body of Cromwell, and he hanged him in public, and then he beheaded him. And so this embalmed head was then placed on a spike atop Westminster Hall, kind of like was done in you know, Game of Thrones. They used to do that stuff. So anyway, this embalmed head of Oliver Cromwell still had hair on the face and everything, and you know, still looked like a little bit of Cromwell was there. And it sat there for about 25 years. And eventually it got knocked off with a spike. The spike broke in half during a storm. And so Cromwell's head tumbled to the ground and a guard picked it up and took it home. And then he kept it in his uh, chimney, hidden away until he was on his deathbed, at which point he told his family that he had Cromwell's embalmed head hidden away in the house. <laughs> so they sold it to a collector, a guy who had an early um, cabinet of curiosities, a very early museum. And it was on display there for, for a number of years. And eventually it passed along a few different hands, wound up into uh, uh, the possession of a particular family whose name was Wilkinson for five generations uh, until that fifth generation son decided to rebury the head at uh, his Cromwell's alma mater, which was Sydney Sussex College in Cambridge. And it was reburied in 1960. So basically Cromwell's head traveled through England for 300 years. So uh, the book I wrote is the memoirs of that head all told from the head's perspective as a journey through history. And to me, when I found out that story, I was just so fascinated that this embalmed head had been passed around for 300 years of a very famous world leader and, and just managed to keep getting passed around and kept in the nice box and shown as a curiosity. I, I find that fascinating. So the book gets into all the true the true history and then a lot of sort of imagined anecdotes that kind of help fill the, the gaps in time. And that book's available now. People can go out and purchase that if they want to. Yeah. Yeah. You can go on Amazon and find that. Normally this is where I give guests an opportunity to promote whatever they want to promote out there. But I think we've covered pretty much everything. We've got your website. We've got your two books, three books actually. Um, is there anything else that you want to throw out there or anything you got coming to look forward to? Well, to look forward to, I have a new book I'm working on. Uh, which will be about Mars. Lots of weird history related to Mars, which is going to be a lot of fun. I kind of got into a little bit earlier in this interview. Um, that's that's still in the early stages, so that'll be a little while till it comes out, but it, it's on the way. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, check out weirdhistorian.com. There'll be more weird stuff coming there. And uh, I think I have all the books listed on there as well. So, um, yeah, how often do you post on the site? I try to do it uh, as much as I can. It's been I've been pretty good about getting one or two articles up uh, a week, which I'm, I'm pretty happy about. But, you know, I also have um, I also have an Instagram uh, uh, page, which I think has been doing pretty well. I put more on that because I can do some quick things on there. Mm -hmm. And that's just that's just at Weird Historian on Instagram. And there's a Facebook uh, page as well at uh, Weird Historian on, on Facebook. So I, I get a little bit more stuff on there than I do on the site. The site's always full stories. Um, and I put those on social as well, but then I get a few extra little things too, uh, on the social channel. So if they want to check that out, um, and follow me there, that'd be great. Awesome. Yeah. It's, this has been a blast. Um, Absolutely. I think this is, 
probably one of the funnest and most unusual interviews we've done yet. And I appreciate you playing along. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I'm sure you. at some point I'll be bugging you again. <laughs> uh, I'd I, I love to come back anytime. Thanks a lot, man. We really appreciate being here. Take care. Well, you too. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Life is a mystery. Confusion is all around us. The truth is out there, but you won't find it here. Maybe it was the ghost of an alien that worked for the government. You know, you remove the alien anal probe out of the story and it probably wasn't this guy's worst Saturday night. Welcome to Hysteria 51, a weekly oddcast of conspiracy theories, mysteries and the unexplained. All viewed through sceptical eyes and the blurry lens of a beer bottle. Listen to Brent and John make sense of it all each week. By subscribing, find us on iTunes by searching Hysteria 51 or anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. Hey, uh, I'm Alex. And I'm John. And we host a show called John and Alex Hate Stuff. We named the show because he's John and I'm Alex and we hate stuff. That stuff? Movies. Yeah, movies. So if you want to hear two people kind of make fun of movies and actually more often than not end up liking them, listen to John and Alex Hate Stuff, available on iTunes and Stitcher and all that stuff. So yeah, we talk about all sorts of weird shit. Like we did the first Batman movie, Fifth Element. Southland Tales, Mother, The Royal Tenenbaums. The sequel to The Royal Tenenbaums, Suicide Squad. The sequel to Suicide Squad, Speed Racer. And the sequel to Speed Racer, Boss Baby. You'll have to listen to find out what the hell we're talking about and if any of that is true. So, yeah, listen to John and Alex Hate Stuff. Alex over two X's. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are found. Check it out. Have you been bludgeoned to death with Ted Bundy stories? Are you choking on too many Hillside Strangler podcast episodes? As awesome as those are, cleanse your palate and add something new to your true crime diet. Why not try some Dark Poutine, a podcast from north of the 49th parallel? We cover Canadian crimes and dark histories. Some of the stories you may know nothing about, but they beg to be told. And, with Canada being the biggest, small country on the planet, we even have personal connections to some of the crimes and history we chat about. Join two real live Canadians every week as we serve up another helping of dark poutine. We are substantially creepy, sometimes meaty, always cheesy, but very rarely sorry. So come on up north and fill your ears with some dark poutine. So that was Mark. That guy was a lot of fun. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Probably one of the most unusually direct interviews we've ever done. <laughs> yeah, like straight to the point, too. Like, new as shit. Yeah, he did. He did. That's what I was saying. Like, his, his site has got so much stuff on there that I'd never seen before. And me and you have been doing this for a while. So now, like, 75% of the stuff that I see anymore, it's like, yeah, I already know about this. I already know about that. I think I'm, I'm beginning to, like, as we said during the show about the guy whose body that was a wax body with organs and stuff in it. I yeah. remember the thing about the head, and I remember about that, but I completely forgot about the body made out of wax with organs. So I'm, I think I'm getting to a point now where we've been doing this for so long that it's I can only I can only hold so much strangeness in my head before you know I start <laughs> to forget about it. Out. But uh, you know it's it's like we were telling them off the air. I'm like we could probably talk to you another forty minutes just about articles that you have on your site. Absolutely. And he was pretty knowledgeable about all of them. Like there's there's stuff on here about ectoplasm and you know just all kinds of stuff. Okay, yeah, it's just an intent. It's it's a time sink. 
this is one of those websites that you're going to go to and if you're into this stuff you're gonna you're gonna be stuck here for a while he's got the thing thomas edison talked to the dead almost you know he's got all these really interesting articles on here and i can fully see that this guy is somebody we would potentially be tapping into again down the road i hope so um well, he was talking about the circus sideshow stuff and about how you know we've we've that topic's eluded us for so long and how we've wanted to cover it, and at least cover it in a different way. Um, I remember we were supposed to talk with uh, Timothy Renner's wife about it, and we never mm-hmm. managed to hook that up. But um, the you know he's he's got an extensive knowledge of stuff on here. Plus, he told us a pretty cool story <clears throat> off the air that we'll have to bring back up with him again too. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, we'll leave that for some time down the road. But uh, yeah, aside from that, you know, that was it was it was good to do a nice, interesting, normal interview show. But it's been so long since we've done an interview with a new person or a show period that I was talking over him, and you're like, you're sending me a message saying stop. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> so it also could be because I'm a little amped up on coffee right now. But, Every um, time. <laughs> no, it's I, I'm beat because I had to work this morning. I had to get up early and work, and I'm also um, I'm also in a considerable amount of pain right now. Yes, yeah, so. I get you. I don't have that anymore. <laughs> Mine was taken care of. You're next, homie. Yeah, within the last week. Well, I've got it's on the 29th, and today as we record this, it's on the 10th. It's but, a um, life changer. It is a life changer. You know, it it it's never hurt me up until within this last week. Yeah, and dude. Then it was mine like, was mine started hurting about a month before I had it uh, operated on. Yeah. That's how I knew it was time to have it operated on. 14 yeah. and a half years. It's, it's been about that long for me, too. Oh. Maybe a little bit longer. But it was never anything big until within the last six months. And then, then it's like, whoa. And yep. I was telling you off the air that when I went in to see the guy, we were talking about pain medicines and stuff like that. And he actually asked me if I used edible marijuana. So... Uh, I'm like, what? You know, and he's like, no. How are you, how are you with edible marijuana? And I'm like, well, I've I've done it twice for leg surgeries and stuff, you know, and, and my arm surgery and everything. And last week I was on Ozone Nightmare, and myself and Joe and Tyler actually were talking about that at some point during the episode. We were talking about medical marijuana, and this last week it it uh marijuana became legal in Michigan. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, it's, I could see now within the next, it doesn't go legal until 10 days after the election. So I, I'm expecting within the next couple of days that our state's just going to be covered in a haze of smoke, <laughs> 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 which I do not smoke marijuana, nor can I, nor do I really want to. But you can but, eat um, it. Yeah, and it's, it's and not. you can slather it on your body. Well, I tried. Okay, so I was like, "Let's." Hmm, I'm I'm now interested in CBD oils because I have arthritis in my. Le- let's yeah. let's talk. Let's talk about Rogan's medical problems for the rest of the show. How's that? If sound, you were folks? a horse, we would have shot you a long time ago. Yeah, it's. I, I'm at that point. I, I need <laughs> to be shot. So, I'm like, I will I will investigate CBD oils now. Not having any idea because again, I I don't get high. I I make my own beer and wine. That's about the extent of what I do. So I go into a shop. There's a CBD oil place by me. And I'm like, well, I have arthritis in my left leg from the surgery and everything. And I'm like, I, I'm going to go find out about CBD oils. But you're not going to so, get high off of that. No, you can, you don't, which I, I understood. I'm like, okay, this is great. I can I can take this. It'll help. And I, if I have to take a drug test at my work or something, I'll be fine with it. Everything's going to be cool. Not knowing anything. I walk in there and I'm like, hi, I'm interested in CBD oils. I would, I would like you to give me the spiel. I'm not going to buy anything today. I just kind of want to know. Okay, well, we have a vape option. Well, I do occasionally vape, but I have no nicotine in it. It's more to control. I'm all like talking like stern white man would stick up his ass, you know, blah, blah, blah. Of course. And uh, 
she's like, well, we have the, and she's like, well, we've got these little bags of gummies and stuff. And I'm like, okay. And I'm looking at them and there's like three gummies in there. And I'm like, well, how much are these thinking, you know, maybe, maybe $10. Those are like $25. And she's like, once you start a CBD regime, you got to continue on it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like, holy shit, that's a lot of money, you know, for like to, to do this stuff. You know, I was expecting it to be far, far cheaper. I know there's people out there right now that are probably ripping their hair out that know more about this than I do. And I'm only vaguely associated with my facts. So bear with me folks. But, um, you know, then she's like, well, we have this little bottle right here of oil. And I'm like, okay, how much is that? Thinking maybe $40. This is $109, sir. And I'm like, okay. Not that much pain. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, this is going to be far more expensive than the Celebrex or Motrin or whatever it is that I take right now. Probably much better for me. But I was like, man, this stuff is like ridiculously expensive. And I'm trying not to, because I know the woman that works there. I'm trying not to give the reaction of, wow, this is expensive because I'm sure she hears this a lot. And I didn't want to be one of those guys that come in there and goes, my God, this stuff's expensive, blah, blah. I didn't want to be that kind of guy because I'm sure that they deal with those kind of people a lot. I think I was failing in my efforts to pull that act off. (laughs) So. Because she told me the price of the one thing, it was like a little bottle. It was like $109, and I think my eyes like shot out of my head like you see in the cartoons, you know, and they popped back in or something. I looked like Large Marge. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of those kind of things. And uh, also, since last we uh, <clears throat> actually had a show, I ended up going to Vegas with Chuck and Todd from Wheel Nerds, and we went to a motorcycle expo out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've hung out with Chuck many times before, and it was the first time of me hanging out with Todd. Um which was was different, you know. I was I was really nervous because Todd's. I don't want to say he's a judgmental guy, but he kind of is because one of his jobs is he's a motorcycle instructor, so his job is to be judgmental of people when they mess up and stuff. So the whole time I'm out there, I'm like, okay, just you know, I'm trying to play it straight as much as possible and stuff. But uh, yeah, the guy gave me a helmet. And I didn't have a helmet to bring with me, so he brought one out there, and I just like I'm I'm taking this. I'm I'm bringing it home with me. So I I kind of escaped with a helmet of his, nice. which is like nine years old it's beat to hell but it was a a really light motorcycle helmet and but i really didn't get to hang out with them that much we hung out at the show um i met a couple of other cool people there i met a listener of our show who uh runs the uh cafe racer podcast Mm -hmm. so it was interesting um i was supposed to try to hang out with stan and nicole i wasn't able to meet up with them but i did go out to area 51 um i did go out to like uh the alien research center there's a little uh, beef jerky place out there and man that place really is like ass crack out middle of nowhere which i knew but like the road to get it's like an hour to like it's a good couple of hours about an hour and a half or whatever to get there from vegas and we'd rented a car so we drove out there we stopped at the beef jerky shop we're driving down this road and there's like nothing on this road it was in the middle of the day fortunately at nighttime i could see where it would freak people out but um there's like this this boat on the way there on this in the middle of nowhere there's a spray painted boat just sitting on the side of the road and then you drive through this little town and there's an alien beef jerky store and you pull up to it and there's lots of aliens and stuff like that painted on the outside and you walk in and it's full of beef jerky and mugs and glasses and their big motto is we have the cl- uh, the cleanest bathrooms this side of Nevada or something like that. And the bathrooms were exceptionally clean. They really were. Mm. Um, should I have had to have pulled my pants down and do my business? I would have had no problem. I did not do that, however. Oh, but, thanks for sharing that. Yes, that was. I'm, I'm sure that was probably a wonder in many people's minds. So we left there, and then we went up the road, and I wanted to get a picture taken in front of the UFO highway sign, highway sign, which is now completely covered in stickers, which I was bummed that I did not have a Project Archivist sticker, full disclosure, I really wanted to. But uh, 
So I was like, okay, I'm getting a picture taken in front of a sign full of stickers. Went up the road a little bit further, went to the Alien Research Center, which is this like half can building on the top of this little hill out in the middle of nowhere. And we walked in there and that place was really cool. Again, more alien memorabilia and stuff. And uh, the woman who runs the place has agreed to come on to the show. Or she, uh, I spoke to the daughter, and daughter said, yeah, she'll come on the show. And they were telling me all of these great stories. I'm like, I don't really want to hear about the mythology of Area 51. I'm like, you're the last stop, or the first stop, I should say, for when people are coming here to go out to Area 51. She's like, yeah, we've got maps on how to get there, and we can tell you how to get there and take photographs of the base without going onto the base and getting arrested by the cops and stuff. I'm like, I want to know about the stories of the people that you've dealt with. What are some of the strangest things that you've had come through this shop? And I'm like, I know you have to deal with the conspiracy maniacs and just, you know, all of the weirdos that have to come through here. And she started telling me all these stories. And I'm like, will you come on the air with us? And she said, yeah, I'll gladly do that. But she was telling me some amazing stories. And one of them was a whole bridal party had pulled up in like a bus. And it was just all these women that were in a bridal party. And that was what they wanted to do for their for their bachelorette party was go out to Area 51. Like, just rent a bus and go out to the middle of nowhere. Okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, all right, sure, whatever, you know. So, uh yeah, I got me a neat little mug, and I got a little, like, alien head full of uh, it's either tequila or vodka. I don't know what it is. It's sitting up on the shelf up here. But it was pretty neat to go out there, you know, and you see the little mailbox, which is supposed to be the black mailbox, but it's not. There's cows everywhere, like, in the middle of the road, off the side of the road, and, then like, lots of cows in the middle of the road. If you hit them, your car is going to be destroyed kind of situation. Um, there's a little restaurant out there called the little alien and there's yep. thing they had a big specialty was apple pie or whatever in this little tiny town, which is like half trailer park. Um, and that's it. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty much area 51, you know? <laughs> so I, I would love to interview one of the guards that has to sit out there in a truck and just watch all of these people try to sneak into the base or how far, you know, the stuff that they have to deal with, you know, that I, I, I wish there They're was a way I could talk well, to them. I'm sure. Yeah, I know, but you you know, you're sitting in a truck all day long out in the middle of nowhere and you gotta deal with people trying to sneak onto this base all the time, you know, trying to take pictures and stuff like that, or just do what you know, just cause she said that there was a couple of guys that came into the shop and they had a YouTube channel and they're like, We're gonna go on the base and we're gonna find aliens. It's like, Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, have fun with it. So I'm I'm gonna try to get a hold of her. I've got her contact information. I'm gonna try to get a hold of her and see if we can get them onto the show just to talk about the strangeness that they do out there. And she she did have some cool history behind area 51 about how it got all called out and how it was finally revealed that yes there is something here and blah 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 so um i'm going to try to square that away here if i can either before christmas or a little bit after christmas i'm going to try to get that all taken care of but aside from that yeah vegas was cool i mean we didn't spend a lot of time downtown it was it's probably the world's biggest eye fuck you know there's it's it's there's no other way to put it vegas in the daytime is different than vegas at night like Vegas, well, the sure. daytime you could walk around with your kids, but as soon as the sun sets, like because marijuana is legal there, like it's like the movie The Fog, where the fog starts rolling in. Well, you've got this wave of marijuana smoke that just kind of starts descending across the street, and the darker it gets, the more weirdness comes out. Like it goes from people walking around, everybody's trying to shove a flyer in your face for oh prostitutes or come Who see this show or, or go eat at this restaurant or whatever. And then it, when the sun sets, it turns into girls wearing thongs and black electrical tape on their nipples 
passing out flyers nice. and stuff. It was like, whoa, what the hell's going on? And then you've got Darth Vader's and Superman and, and Batman's walking around trying to get pictures in front of the Bellagio with you. And it, it was pretty intense. It was pretty wild. And I don't do well around crowds. Mm. So I'm like, I need to get out of here. 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 And my wife's like, are you going to be okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'll be fine. I need to get out of here. And my daughter started. She was getting really weird about it and stuff. And there was this woman. I will tell this story. Then we'll call it good for the night. This is one of the other Vegas story. And I'll call it good. Me, the wife, the daughter, and the son-in-law were walking down the Vegas Strip. And uh, the, the two girls that were wearing thongs and black electrical tape and nothing more were passing out flyers for something. And this woman was just taking these nonstop pictures of them. And she kind of looked horrified. So the one girl looks at her and goes, do you want to get a picture of me? And she's like, oh, my God, no. Um, you, oh, my um, I, I And we just kept on walking. And I, I'm wondering, like, what the deal with that woman was or what she was doing. Because she, she, she looked really my freaked God, out. My God, you Maybe yeah, no, totally. I, that was the Absolutely. vibe. That, that was the vibe that I got, but I also got the same vibe of do I get a picture with this girl or not? Like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I mean, if that's their thing, that that's not the place you want to be. It's called the city of sin for a reason. Well, there's that. You know, like we got off the freeway once and we drove past the museum of sex. And you've met my wife. She's you know how she is. Yep. She's not paying attention. She reads the building and she's like blah 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 blah. And it says in big long letters puppetry of the penis. And my wife's like puppetry of the. Pe-. What is God? And she stops. And me and my about? me and my daughter just start cracking up. We're rolling in the car. <laughs> and then she realizes that she, she's looking at the museum God. of sex. God. So we awesome. we even start laughing even more. <laughs> good times. It was funny. Good yeah, times. it was. It was good times. But we ended up going to Hoover Dam and we went to uh, Red Rocks Canyon. We were interested. We were interested in the stuff outside of Vegas more so than in Vegas. I'm sure. But um, yeah, it was fun. So I, I think Chuck's out there listening right now. Thank you again, Chuck. Thank you very much for doing that, Todd. If you're out there, thank you very much for taking me to one of these events again. It was a blast. I have. I, I have the funnest memories of going to these things. My job was to walk around and film and take video and stuff like that. And and this was Todd's first major event. And Todd was just a maniac running around with a microphone, like shoving it in front. Of, Sir, I'm going to interview you. Get this on tape. Yes, I'm, I'm taping it now. And it, it was fun. It was neat. It was Sounds a lot like of fun. Um, Melinda, sweetheart of a girl, met her out there. She's one of the Wheel Nerds crew. I had a lot of fun with her. We had a blast. So, um, Guys, wheel nerds, if you're out there, thank you very much for the opportunity to go out and do this once again. And hopefully I can do more of these things with you guys. And uh, that's it. I'm done rambling on my coffee-induced, um, you know, run, running here, babbling. I still have candy in the house from Halloween, too. That's probably contributing to this. <laughs> Maybe. How much candy do you got left? Quite a bit. Yeah. How, about How many trick-or-treaters did you have? Uh, uh, I got rid of... What do you think? About 12 pounds of candy? Wow. Wow. We had a good turnout here, too. We did. We had um three. Three trick-or-treaters at our house. Three? <laughs> three. Yes, count them. And they were the I neighbor's kids. I had about kids. 90. Yeah, we didn't. I, I ended up going out on Halloween night and hanging out at Lisa's house, and then all the neighbors came down, and we just sat in front of her house giving out bowls of candy to everybody trick-or-treating in her neighborhood. Nice. It was a lot of fun sitting around the fire pit and stuff. So, yeah, that was it, you know. But, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, I'm done babbling for now. <laughs> hmm. And uh, I don't know. You got anything to throw into this? Nah. Since I've pretty much dominated all of this at this point? Nah. All right. We did have emails. I don't have them in front of me. We got three great emails from listeners out there. Four, actually. Four. We had a UFO 
guy over in Spain. They've released a UFO book, but it's in Spanish. And they want to come on the show to talk about it, but they have an interpreter they want to bring on the show. And I'm like, I don't know if we could do anything like that. Mm. So, And then we had a couple of people that have uh, just recently found the show, and they wrote us some really cool emails. And I, I don't have them in front of me, but I did want to say that, yeah, we read them. Thank you very much for sending them to us. I posted them into the uh, Facebook page. And you were like, what is this horror? Are they listening to the right show? But anyways. Yup. So, Sorry about that. Uh, this is Rojan, um, overstimulated on coffee and sugar. Peace out from Detroit. This is Lobo from Connecticut. Hail yourselves. Hail yourselves. The great yourselves panic. That's it. Should we take ourselves to court for, uh, that's what we need to do. We need to put a statue of Archie out there. <laughs> yeah, because that'll we'll go take over our, well. We need to put a statue of Archie out there, the guy with the gas mask, and then we'll Dude, if we we'll put a statue of a guy with a gas mask, people would go out of their minds thinking it was a chemical attack. Because nobody like, reads signs and nobody does anything they're supposed to do. Yeah, but it would be the guy with the it would be Archie with the gas mask and the suit and the briefcase. Yep. I, I need to go out for that as Halloween. I really do. do. I do get a I need gas to get, like, mask a suit. real cheap. Oh yeah. Real cheap. Get the gas mask, the fedora, and the business suit in the briefcase and just go out as Archie. I have everything and only certain but the gas mask. And I can get one of those from my brother-in-law. Oh, that's what we need to do. We need to do that for Halloween one year. Mm. That'd be awesome. That would be great. All right, I'm done. Peace out, folks. <laughs> Bye-bye. I think he-